Hi, you're listening to Eternal Stance. I hope this message inspires you to live in light of eternity. Amen. If you have your Bibles, would you open with me to John 3? It's a very famous passage. You most likely have heard of John 3.16. And we're going to kind of keep most of our time in John 3. And I'm going to read it. You can follow along. I'm reading from the NLT or the New Living Translation. And it says something along these lines, okay? It says, there was a uh, man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. After dark, one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach your miraculous signs, or your miraculous signs are the evidence that God is with you. And Jesus replied, I tell you, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean? exclaimed Nicodemus. How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. Humans reproduce human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows whatever it wants, just as you can hear the wind, but you, you cannot tell where it comes from and where it's going. So you cannot explain, or you can't explain how people are born out of the Spirit. How are these things possible, Nicodemus said. Jesus replied, you are a respected Jewish leader, and yet you don't understand these things. I assure you, we tell you, I assure you, we tell you what, you, uh, what we know and have seen, and yet you won't believe our testimony. But if you don't believe me when I tell you about the earthly things, how can you possibly believe me when I told you or I tell you about the heavenly things? No one has ever gone to heaven and returned, but the Son of Man has come down from heaven. And, Moses, and as Moses lifted up a bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the, man, the Son of Man must be lifted high or must be lifted up, rather, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. There's no judgment against anyone who believes in him, but anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing God's only son. And believing in him, um, and the judgment is, up, is based on this fact, God's light came into the world, but people loved their darkness more than light, for their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for uh, fear their sins will be exposed. But those who do what is right come to the light so others can see that they are doing what God wants. Amen? What a powerful chapter, and I am amazed how much stuff is packed in here. And uh, as you probably have seen for the last few weeks, we've been focusing on the 21 days of prayer and fasting, and God's been bringing a lot of things to the surface. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing to have. Uh, God has been convicting me. God has been convicting our pastors. And uh, we are changing kind of like the direction we're going in. Not like drastically, but like, you know, he always comes and says, hey, you, you, should, do, you should do something different here and here and so on and so forth. 
And, and what I love about this is that our vision at City Hill, if you have never heard it before, I'm gonna tell you in four different things. It's very easy to remember. It's we want every single person in our city, every single person that we encounter, every single person around the world to know God, to find freedom and live in freedom, to, to discover the purpose they were designed for here on earth and also leave a godly legacy and make a difference. Like that's the four things that we have is know God, find freedom and live in freedom, right? Like this idea that, you know, not just kind of come to God and know of God, but actually that becoming a reality in your life, amen? Um, so as we are focused on that, Pastor Yuri focused a lot on finding freedom. Today I wanna talk to you about, okay, what's the, the overarching thing of our Christianity? What are the purpose that we have in this life? And, and I think that it would be kind of pointless to talk about the God, especially in the modern day you know, church, a lot of times people talk about how God just wants the best for you. He wants you to drive the nicest car and he wants you to have the nicest house and you're gonna go to nations and he's gonna raise up to talk to presidents. And what if that doesn't happen? Maybe God has not called you to any of that. Maybe sometimes God is gonna call you through a, a difficulty. I remember my own um, aunt, she died of cancer. And it, it, it was crazy because to see the struggle that she had with that, but in that she glorified God all the way. And I remember our family just crying, crying to see her faithfulness during this season. Now, I'm not saying that that's what God wants for you. I do believe the old sickness is not God's plan. That was as a result of the curse. But I think we have to look at the first church and the early church and see that people that were called to follow Jesus usually led them to the cross. Amen? Uh, so I remember specifically when I was uh, I was about 18 years old. And you know how you have this, like, you have this great idea, but then in retrospect, you don't think it's such a good idea? You've had one of those moments before, at least once. Uh, and so some of my friends were like, man, we should do something crazy. That never leads to anything good. But like, and they're like, we should go bungee jumping. You know, and we're like, yeah, we should do that. And we all assumed that's gonna happen sometime down the road so we don't have to worry about it right now. And the guy goes, how about tomorrow? Tomorrow's Saturday, let's do tomorrow. And obviously by this point, I'm committed, right? Like, I don't wanna show that I'm like, oh, I'm not gonna be like, oh, maybe we shouldn't go, right? Like, yeah, yeah, we, we could do, definitely do it tomorrow. Like, let's do it for sure. So get in the car and as I'm driving to this mountain, it's in Oregon, right? Like as I'm driving to this mountain, the reality starts to set in. Little by little, we stop at McDonald's and as I'm eating my burger, I'm thinking like, oh, we're about to jump off a cliff. Like that's not, so, so this reality starts to become like, just kind of starts to engulf me, right? The moment we start drive up the hill, we, we keep on driving, driving, driving. I'm like, how, how high is this going, right? Like, so, so everything that is happening around you, you, you are very aware of this reality that uh, just within about half an hour or so, you'll be dangling from a bridge. Not the smartest idea. In retrospect, I probably wouldn't do it. But like, so we pull up to this bridge and it looks abandoned, you know? And there's a one rail on one side where the guys that are doing this whole like bungee jumping thing, they have their stuff set up. And then on the other side, apparently the rail was just completely gone. So by the time we start walking on this bridge, I'm looking down and there's like some 250 feet. And there's about this much water on the bottom like side of, of, of the bridge. And, the, and then there's a guy that's, you know, so obviously we're waiting our turn. And, and there's this guy that, you know, um, let's just say in a way that would be very respectful. He was a bit on the heavy side. And 
he was about to bungee jump, but he just cannot do it. So he's just kind of holding for dear life. And the guy's like, just, just, just push, bro. And he's like, no, I can't, I can't do it. And I'm just sitting there and I'm like really reconsidering my life choices at this point, right? Like I'm thinking like, this is not good. Like, and this guy's just like, no, I can't, I can't do it. I can't do it. And he's climbing back up on, on the ledge. And, and I'm looking at this and I'm like, have we really, are we really doing this right now? And then we kind of walk to the other side and there's, there's no rail and we just kind of like peek over and like, yep, yeah, that's very high. <laughs> um, and, and so this guy really just gives up and all his friends are like, come on, man, you got, you, you got this, bro, let's do it. And they're like, I can't do it, I can't do it. So he just, <laughs> apparently he was the last one and it took him a while and he still didn't jump. So he, you know, um, get, goes over the rail and they leave. And the guy is just like kind of doing the walk of shame, like I, I couldn't do it. And everyone's kind of, so this lady walks up to me, and as I'm, as I'm watching this whole scene unfold, she hands me a, a disclaimer, and I'm starting to read through that. And this is weird, but there's a question in there that says, if you were to die today, would you like to be cremated, or would you like to be buried? Which I'm thinking now, like, why would you ask that, first of all? Second of all, if I were to die today, I think that I would have a lot more other things to take care of and to worry about, not exactly if I want to be cremated or buried. But I think they did that on purpose just to kind of tell us that, hey, this, you could die by doing this, but you're signing your life away, so here he goes. And uh, I was going to play you guys a video, but it's really low quality, so I decided not to. But, like... Um, I remember I, I had to go the first because I was just like, oh, I, I, you know, like, we can do it, anything. And, you know, you misquote Bible, like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me and all that, right? And uh, I get tied up and, and, and then I jump because you get two jumps. So, yeah, sure. Um, so one of them is forward and one of them is backwards. The forward one I managed okay, but on the way back up, my, my suit started to sort of like, I started to slide out and I was just holding for dear life. I'm like, this, I'm gonna die. Um, but then I went up and I'm like, okay, I guess we will do it again, <laughs> uh, which I still don't understand that. But like, and then there's this picture of me on in the video where I, I fall backwards and you if you just to see my face, I'm just terrified. And I'm just holding onto this rope for my dear life. And the reason I'm telling you this is that it's a perfect illustration of my relationship with Jesus. The rope being representing Jesus. <laughs> I cannot come up with a better illustration than that. Where you have this rope that you're like, my whole weight hangs on this. And I'm going to keep on bouncing for a while here. And it's, it's, when you jump, it's kind of weird because your mind doesn't keep up with your fall and you're very confused. Um, so, so what I'm trying to say is it's one thing to say that I believe that you can be safe in bungee jumping. It's a whole different level when you put your whole life and you, 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 you stake everything that you have on jumping. It's one thing to say that you think the airplanes are safe, but the moment you go through that tunnel of death, right, and you st strap yourself in this metal tube and you're going at seven, 800 miles an hour through some clouds, right, like, that's a whole different story. If you've flown for the first time, you remember that experience, right? It's a whole different story to say that I believe in, in, in airplanes. It's not a thing to sit, strap yourself in and say, okay, well, this, if this is going down, well, it's going down. And it's interesting because a lot of times we don't realize that. And I think when, if I were to think that over again and think, okay, is, 
is there a chance of me dying? Because if there's a chance of me dying, then I should really wrestle with life's biggest questions. Like, for example, instead of asking me if I should be cremated or not, maybe you should ask me, am I saved or not? Am I born again or not? Have I considered the, my life choices in light of eternity? Like, those are the things I should probably think about. And I think a lot of times we come in church and we think about Jesus and we talk about and we preach. But can I ask you this? Don't raise your hand because you don't want to embarrass yourself. But like, can I just ask you this? If you were to die today, are you sure you're saved? I think all of us, we should really take a moment. So I'll come. No, I'm joking. Like, just think about that for a second. Is there a doubt that if you're to die, um, there's no chances of you going to hell? That's, I think we should consider it since we're a church, right? That's a, I think it's a big question. And I think that is a question that puzzled not just us, it puzzled people like Nicodemus. Nicodemus is actually a, uh, when you think of a Pharisee, you think of your parents, of your friends, maybe the person that's sitting right next to you, don't look around. Um, maybe that's what you think of a Pharisee, like normally has a bad connotation, like a hypocrite, right? But when we think of Pharisee in the New Testament context, the Pharisees were the respected like religious leaders of the day. These are people, the, the, the re, uh, religious elite, so, so Nicodemus is not only a Pharisee, he is part of this, what this body of, of rulers called the Sanhedrin. And about, there's about 71 of them on this body, and they're kind of like the Supreme Court of the, of the nation. Okay, so think of the, how we have the Supreme Court, we have nine judges. Well, think of them having 71 judges. So he's not only a Pharisee, so he knows the law, he's also part of this ruling body that he, he's able to make, you know, he's able to make all these kind of decisions for the nation of Israel. And he gets this, this kind of inner question like, is, because he, he hears this, there, there's this blind guy, blind, uh, blind guy that comes and he says, well, I don't know who healed me. Like, I don't really know much about him, but I know that I, I was blind and now I can see. This was before the, the, this body of, of this, this council. And obviously he talks about Jesus. And so, so Nicodemus is ruling on this council and he's thinking, okay, is this real? Is this guy the Messiah? So he does what most people in Bellevue do, uh, do like people that are, are, are very influential, people that are rich, right? Like you have questions, but you don't, wanna know, like you don't want people to know that you have questions about this. Some historians say that, oh, he went to Jesus because, you know, the Sanhedrin sent him. But that's not the case because normally when the Sanhedrin s sent a delegation, when they would send that, it was during the day. They would confront Jesus during the day. But he comes to Jesus by night by himself. So he's trying to pretend like, hey, you know, it's not like I'm coming, but I, I, I don't want to be seen because back in the day they didn't have lights outside. And, and so he comes by night to Jesus. Now remember, Jesus was also arrested by night. And John kind of plays with this idea that like, you know, people that don't know Jesus are in the dark. You see a lot of this in, in the, the gospel of John of like light versus the, the, the dark, right? So even though obviously when understand the meeting is that he just came by night, but John is, is setting him up here for, he's obviously telling the, how he was, but there's more meaning to it because the reason he was coming to Jesus by night is that he didn't want his, his council friends to find out that he went to Jesus. He didn't want it. 
And then he come up, comes up to Jesus and he's like, I want to ask questions, but how do I frame him? So he doesn't think that like, well, I'm, you know, you're really interested in like this eternal life. So he comes up to Jesus and he says this, this amazing thing. He doesn't ask him a question, right? He says, Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. What he's doing here is he's giving Jesus a compliment. He says, we all know that you, you, you do miracles and stuff, and like we think that you're a real deal and stuff. <laughs> it's not a question. And Jesus replies back, and he says, I tell you the truth, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What Jesus is saying here is the equivalent of him saying, yeah, that's nice, but you're still going to hell. What Jesus is saying here is, if you really came here, I know what you came here for, Nicodemus. You didn't come here to give me a compliment. You came here because you had a question that you needed an answer to. You came here, and I'm going to give you exactly what you need. You came here wondering if this is the real deal. And that's what I'm going to tell you. Unless you are born again, you are not going to enter the kingdom of God. Now, when we talk about the kingdom of God, I think there's a lot of times we don't really understand in our context, but let me, let me elaborate here what Jesus is really saying. Now, in, if you're new to the New Testament, um, which is kind of weird, but like, if you're new to understanding the New Testament, you'll know that New Testament was written in Greek first. And in Greek, there's this word um, ion, which is ages, but then uh, aeonion means eternity, where, you know, ages, right? So, so what's happening here is Jesus is saying that Look, right now, we are part of this current age or this life. But the kingdom of God is the age to come, is the eternity to come. Okay? So what Jesus came on earth is to literally take the kingdom of God and drag him into our age. So the age to come, uh, the stuff that happens after death, after the judgment, Jesus is bringing that into our own existence, into our own life. So this present life is marked by a lot of beauty. You love the sunsets and you love the mountains and you love snowboarding and you love Hawaii and you, you love all these things, but you also, it's marked by a lot of brokenness. It's marked by racism and rape and murder and evil and, and, and thievery and, and people abusing their power and, and child molestation and tra sex trafficking and, and disease and sickness. And it's marked by all these other things. They're not so great. And Jesus says, I came here to bring the kingdom of God, to bring the age that's about to be, bring it here. Now, not to say that you're actually going to live at the same time. No, he's saying, I want to implant in your heart this age that's coming. I want to implant in your heart eternity. I want you to start thinking not the way people think or the world thinks. I want you to start thinking the way God thinks. I want to change your desires, your deepest desires, not your desire for food or, or, or you know, sex or any of those things, not those things that no, those are important. Those are given by God. He says, I want your deepest desire for you to always crave the, the things of eternity, a relationship with, with God. And he says, I, I came to bring that into the, your present reality. So as you go day by day through your, now I understand a lot of you came in here and you maybe wear pastel and like you're, you're so excited because like, oh, we're at church, I'm going to go eat after and everything seems to be perfect. But there's some people in here that you came with suicidal thoughts and depression. You came with maybe a divorce or two on, under your belt. And like, so you have all these things that you're dealing with where maybe you have some childhood drama that you've never dealt with. And now that's, that's kind of 
showing its ugly head back into your life. There's a lot of things that you maybe are dealing this morning. God says, as you are going through this, through everyday things, please understand that I came to bring the reality of God. That, so you would start seeing your present day, not your present suffering, not as this is going to last forever. But I want to bring the present reality that God one day is going to bring justice to all of this. God one day is going to bring restoration. You will get a new body that doesn't, it's not, you know, it doesn't have sickness. And then you will get new desires that are not marked by perversion and, and wrong motivations. God is saying here that I'm going to come and make all things new. How they were intended to be. What Jesus is saying is, Nicodemus, what you are craving, you are a religious law. And now to, to Nicodemus, this is so disorienting. Because think about this. Imagine if you were born here, and some of you are. If you're born in Seattle, your whole life you lived here, and I came up to you and said, yep, no, you're not a citizen. And you're like, what? I have a passport. Nope, no, you're not a citizen. Uh, I was born in Seattle. Well, uh, not a citizen. You got to reapply for citizenship. That's what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus here. Nicodemus is saying, hey, listen, I've, I was a religious law the whole time. I'm waiting for Messiah. I, I've done everything that I'm supposed to do. And Jesus is like, nope. Don't count. Unless you're born again. And Nicodemus is obviously struggling with this. Like, <laughs> exactly how is that? Like, do, do you want me, don't, don't imagine this, but I have to mention it, right? Like, do you, do you imagine me going back into my mom, mom's womb? Like, uh, that's weird. What does that mean? And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Not that. You need to be bo born of water and the Holy Spirit. And Nicodemus is like, okay, well, what does that mean? Now, a lot of, there's so many interpretations to this, but I, I think the right one is mine. I'm joking. <laughs> like, uh, there's, there's so many, but I think the consensus among scholars is the, the, you must be baptized with water. Obviously, it's, it's a reference to baptism of water. Some people say, well, that kind of uh, points to the water of your natural, well, when, when a mom is pregnant and there's, there's a baby inside of her womb and there's water around it and the water breaks and the baby comes out and so on and so forth. Like they're referring to that kind of water, which is really weird and I don't want to go too much into it. Don't think about it. Um, but like, I think the consensus among the scholars is this, is that this refers to baptism. It's kind of referring to that first natural birth, but it's more than that. It's kind of like you being submerged in water just like you, when you're a baby, you're submerged in water, and when you come out, you come, you, you are dead into your old self, and you come out to a new self, a new person in Christ. That's what Jesus is saying here. But as to, as to the second one, he says that, like, well, the Holy Spirit is like the wind. You see the effect of the wind, but you don't really see it, and you can't really control it. Now, I don't know how many of you really aided in your own birth, but I don't remember it. And most likely, you probably didn't help much in your own birth. What Jesus is saying here is that you have to be baptized with water and of the Holy Spirit. But guess what? When it comes to being baptized, you can make a, a profession of faith and somebody baptizes you. But when it comes to the Holy Spirit, you can't control that. Rather, you cannot control Him. You cannot control that process where you cannot control Him. He is like the wind. Can you control the wind? Because if you can, please fix you know, all the hurricanes and all that. And God is saying, look, the Holy Spirit is like the wind. You can't control him. So you have to be baptized. You have to make a profession of faith. And then you have to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. 
The Holy Spirit has to come in you and has to change everything from inside out. You have to understand that you are, as you go through your present life, all the pain that you are suffering is not the end. God came here to make God's kingdom a reality for now and then actually change your whole being inside of you. And he does this through the process of baptism and being filled with the Spirit. He created not for you to be just in this world. He created you for eternity with him. I love this passage. Uh, well, actually, it's not a passage. It's a poem by Don Weitzen. I think that's the pronunciation. I can't pronounce it. But the last two kind of stanzas in this poem says this, when you are surrounded by the blackness and the darkest night, oh, how lonely death can be. At the end of this long tunnel is a shining light, for death is swallowed up in victory. But just to think of stepping on a shore and finding it heaven, of touching a hand and finding God's, of breathing new air and finding it celestial, of waking up in glory and finding it home. That's a glimpse. Heaven, (laughs) I've said this before, but heaven is not an endless church service because like, some of you are taking your time like, uh, when is this going to end? Because I need to eat. That's not what heaven is like. You don't sit on a cloud with Cupid and diapers and all that stuff. And like, that's not what heaven is. Heaven, it, there's glimpses of heaven here on earth. Like when you look at the sunset and the sunrise, when you look at the ocean and the mountains, God created all that. God created all the galaxies and the flowers and, and the things in, in, inside of the ocean. God created you for reality that's so much bigger than what we experience here on earth. And all these beauties that we experience here on earth are supposed to point to the ultimate beauty, and that's Him. All the, you know, I don't know how many times you've had that, but like when you sit down and like you are laughing with a whole bunch of friends, and, and you just kind of, it dawns on you really quickly, man, I just love these people. Well, where you have one of those moments, like this moment is just right. I hope I remember for the rest of my life. And when you see that favorite song and you're like, I have to just pull over and listen to song like 10 times because that's what I do, <laughs> right? Like you play it on like repeat and then you kind of get sick of it. But like you, you, you have this addiction to this, this song, right? Why? Because all these present beauties are supposed to point us to the ultimate one. And we see glimpses of this. I'm amazed to see how many people, like, in, in spite of their dysfunction, you know, they, tr- they, they thrive and, and they, they triumph over the dysfunction. Of people who are, who are missing limbs, they're, they're, they're still running marathons. Of people who don't have a lot of money, but they adopt five, six kids because they want to give a better home to those kids. We see this all the time. We see when people forgive each other, like, oh, I just, sorry about that. And like, you see these beautiful moments and God says, I, I, that's just a glimpse at what, I, what my kingdom's about. My kingdom is, is an endless cycle of, I wouldn't even call it a cycle because he's the creator. He constantly creates. There's no cycles. It's, it's an unending thing of him, you know, creating more things. He's the one who created all the things that you enjoy. Only a fool will give this, this heaven up for this present reality. But I think this present reality so tugs in our hearts. Hey, we like the new cars and we like you know, all those things, so it tugs at our hearts. And Nicodemus, obviously he has this fame. 
He has this power. He has this uh, honor. And all of that to him is just, he's questioning and says, if I have all this, but I've missed the point, have I missed the point? So he comes and inquires of Jesus and Jesus gets straight. So, so I don't know how he came in this morning. Maybe you're like, ah, oh, I just showed up because my parents asked me to, so I should probably show up. Or maybe like, well, I should show that I'm better and, and like I, I can do better by attending church. Jesus is going to look through and he's going to see, and you're going to pay compliments to me and you're going to pay compliments to the worship team and you're going to pay compliments and say, oh, that was a great sermon and that was a great you know, church service and that was a great this. And, and, and I'm going to look at you and say, yeah, but you, are you saved? Are you born again? Because that's what Jesus does to me all the time. Like, Jesus, I just want to honor you. And he brings the deepest hurts and pains. Like, have we dealt with the, have you dealt with this yet? He's going to bring conviction in your life. He, he doesn't play games. He's straight up. So yeah, Nicodemus, but if you don't get what this kingdom of God is about, you're going to hell. But if you want to, you need to be born again. So how are you, how are you born again? I think it's so, I, I think I hate cliches because cliches take such deep truth and they, they, they make it one-sided and they take all the texture out and all that, right? Like, so cliches like, have you received the Holy Ghost? Now, I understand what they mean by that, but a lot of times it's, it's just a cliche. Have you praised Jesus? Have you, like, but what I'm trying to ask is, is Jesus your deepest desire? Is Jesus the bungee rope that you cling on your whole life? And you're like, I'm not letting go. And I don't know what kind of ride I'm going to go up and down and bounce off. I hope I, hope I don't hit the bridge, but if, even if I do, that rope is still my hope. I remember the guy saying like, oh, you know, we can actually make it so you can, you can touch your hair, uh, the water. And I'm like, no, my hair is fine, dry like it is. It's fine. Because I'm thinking like, what if that, that bungee stretches a bit too far? Right? Is, is Jesus the ultimate thing? Have you hung your whole weight on him? Have you put everything you have? your family, your money, your career, your, your, your business, everything that you have, is Jesus the center of it all? Are you, ha- like, have you, is Jesus the airplane that you set down, strapped yourself in, and it's like, I don't know where we're going, but I'm in. Not just something that, thinking that Je- the idea of Jesus, and receiving Jesus as my Lord and Savior is a great idea. No, actually receiving him as Lord and Savior the first thing you're going to need to do is, is receive him. And now I understand that a lot of times we preach the choir and a lot of you have made a decision. But, but I, I want to go a step deeper. And it's not just a decision that you made. This a decision, just like a decision, I made a decision to work for an employer. Uh, employer but if I don't show up to, to, to that work every single day, I no longer work for them. It takes about exactly three days before I get fired. Right? If those absences are uh, unexcused, so a lot of times we make a commitment, but we don't follow it with daily actions. We think one day we're going to make it with this one big decision and, and things will change. But no, our life is a result of our small decisions. Every single decision that you make takes you one direction or another. Every single decision, every single step that we take is either closer to Christ or farther away. Period. Every single thing that we do, the way we treat one another, the way we invest our money, the way we pay taxes, the way we we do any of those things. Are we faithful? Are we honest? 
The way we open up our houses to illegal aliens at times. I don't care about the politics, I just care about the person. Are we who Christ called us to be to the city? Because every single decision they make us leads us closer or farther away. So make sure that we, Jesus is everything we hang on, right? Second thing is that make sure you're water baptized. Water baptisms, think of a water baptism, the best way I can explain it is like a wedding where you make a public commitment of a decision that you made inward that, hey, from now on, I'm completely committed to this person. In baptism, you say, I'm dead to my old self and I'm alive with Christ. No matter how up and down I go, I'm gonna make this public, hold me accountable. It's amazing how many times I get text messages of like our leaders, even this week happened, right? Like where the leaders like, like, was that really necessary? Because that was not very kind. And I have to humble and say, I'm so sorry, because that was wrong. So, so it's that decision. Uh, a lot of people, people say stuff like, well, I don't know if I want to get baptized, because what if I fall? This is a really crass example. I don't even know if I should bring it or not. But do you think a person that's dating is more likely to cheat or a person that's married? Obviously, the person who's dating, because there's not a lot, a lot of attachment to it. So what you're saying, Slavik, I don't want to take baptism because I don't want to cheat on God. Well, the very fact that you're taking baptism, that, that's going to strengthen your relationship. That's going to elevate you know, all the other consequences and your decision will be strengthened by that. If that doesn't help you, just throw it out that example. But I'm just telling you, in my own life, personally speaking, baptism solidified my faith and walk with Christ. Listen, don't wait until you're ready. None of us are. We're dead when we're not ready. But he takes us as we are and he won't leave us where we are. Things will change but we have to walk in commitment. The last thing you have to do is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm amazed that there's this passage in the New Testament. It talks about how the Holy Spirit in Ephesians 1.3 says, and when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit that he promised, whom, whom he promised long ago. So the Holy Spirit is the seal that when Jesus comes back for his church, the people who have the Holy Spirit will be saved. The Holy Spirit is the seal, it's God's mark on your life that you are his. Now, the Holy Spirit is not a person you can control, but you can receive. We see that Jesus himself, when he was baptized, the Holy Spirit descended upon him in the form of a dove. You have to make that a reality in your life. You have to ask the Holy Spirit to indwell in you. And you have to walk that out. So from now on, it's not like, do I go to that party or not? It's no longer asking yourself. It's asking the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, should I take a right or a left? Holy Spirit, what do you want me to say to this person that's in front of me? Holy Spirit, how should I proceed with my career choices? Holy Spirit, that is our daily walk now. It's not, what does Slavic want to do? Holy Spirit, what do you want? Where are you leading me? He will place impressions on your heart. He will speak 
you know, actually speak into your heart. He will actually remind you of verses every single time you're in a situation and he will remind you of a verse, why that's wrong or why that's right. The Holy Spirit is your constant companion day in and day out. I remember it was this theater that I walked in and I walked into a, 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 a what's it called? A, this was a very long time ago, but I walked into a, uh, a rated R movie and the first time they started to cuss, the Holy Spirit in me was so grieved that I had to get up, even though I paid for it, and I just walked out. The Holy Spirit will convict you. The Holy Spirit is the one who's going to teach you. Every single time I teach from the stage of Pastor Yuri, if I'm preaching something that's not biblical, the Holy Spirit is like, uh, 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 nope, that's not it. Make sure you talk to Slavic about this after. The Holy Spirit is going to be your constant companion. Now, what's, what happened to our hero, Nicodemus? Have you wondered about that? Because the Bible doesn't mention Nicodemus in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And I think the reason for that is because he was part of this very powerful body called Sanhedrin, and he didn't want to come out and say, well, I support Jesus. But John was one of the last gospels that was written. So maybe by this time Nicodemus died. We're not really sure. The Bible's kind of quiet exactly how he ended up. However, we see some glimpses. In John 7, 47, uh, there's this story that I want to give you a little bit of context. Uh, so so the, the, the body, the Sanhedrin, sends a whole bunch of guards to arrest Jesus. And these guards come, they're like, hey, we're here to arrest Jesus. But Jesus is teaching, and these guards are kind of like, well, we'll just wait a little until he finishes. And then they, they sit down. And when Jesus gets done, they turn around and they're like, and they walk back into the Sanhedrin. And they're like, whoa, where is Jesus? You guys were supposed to arrest Jesus. And they're like, well, we went there to arrest him, but like he was teaching with such power that like we couldn't really arrest him. So, so we, we just walked, walked away. And the whole body is just like, what? What is going on, right? Like you're supposed, you, you have an order to, to fulfill, right? So, so this is where we pick up and John uh, 7, 47 says, have you been led astray too? So the Sanhedrin is going off after the guards and saying like, or the, the soldiers, you could say, has, has Jesus led you astray? He goes on to say, the Pharisees mocked. Is there a single one of us rulers or Pharisees who believe in him? This foolish crowd follows him, but they are ignorant of the law. God's curse is on them. Right? So, so you have the Pharisees, that are, they're mocking these guards and saying, like, are you kidding me? We, didn't, we don't agree with Jesus. But look who speaks up. It says, then Nicodemus, the leader who had met with Jesus earlier, spoke up. Is it legal to convict a man before he is given a hearing. If you have watched any of the Congress uh, debating on anything, you know how they don't want to come out and say, I disagree with that. But they always kind of use the authority of the law because the Pharisees are holding the authority of law high. And Nicodemus just kind of doing like the skeptical question, is it right for us? If we follow the law, is it right for us to condemn Jesus even though we haven't heard him? Obviously, they didn't like that. And they like they replied, are you from Galilee too? Search the scriptures and see for yourself. No prophet ever comes from Galilee. They had a problem with where Jesus was from, apparently. No, it was just an excuse. They're just like one of their own elders. Now, we know that Nicodemus had high status. Is saying like, are we, 
if we follow the law, if we're so passionate about the law, are we going to do this right now? And they're like, whoa, 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 wait a second. I thought you were with us, bro. What happened? What, 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 why the change? Are you a Galilean too? Are you a disciple of Jesus too, is what they're asking. And I think all of our questions is the same thing. Is Nicodemus a disciple? Well, we have another passage in John 19, in the same book, the same gospel. He talks about this, that Jesus was murdered, was crucified, and then he just hung on the cross. Now, to me, this passage is very odd. Just listen to this. Afterwards, Joseph of Arimathea, who had been a secret disciple of Jesus, think about that. Joseph of Arimathea, who was a secret disciple of Jesus, because he feared the Jews, uh, Jewish leaders, asked Pilate for permission to take down Jesus, uh, uh, Jesus' body. When Pilate gave permission, Joseph came and took the body away. With him came who? Nicodemus, the man who had come to Jesus at night. He brought about 75 pounds of perfume, of ointment, made from myrrh and aloe. Following Jesus' burial customs, they wrapped Jesus' body and spices in long sheets of linen cloth. Now, we know that Joseph of Arimathea was also part of the Sanhedrin. He's also a very uh, a powerful rule, ruler with Nicodemus, so apparently they're friends. Now, let me ask you this. Why would anybody, if you're a Supreme Court judge, why would you go and bury what they thought was a murderer, a criminal, why would you do that? And they did this during the day. Now, we don't hear from Nicodemus again. But I think his actions speak louder than his words, right? Like, his actions speak louder that he was a secret disciple of Jesus. He, he defended Jesus before the, uh, the, the Sanhedrin. He came and with Joseph, he actually brought 75, uh, 75 pounds of perfume. He would have to be wealthy for that. One. The other thing is that he would have to care about Jesus. So that leads me to this. I'm going to close here in a few minutes, but I'm going to ask you this. How did you come in this place? And are you born again or not? Because if you're questioning that, you shouldn't walk out of this place questioning it. As we go in towards prayer and and towards the end of the service, I want you to start looking at all the things that are happening in your life right now and understand that this present reality is not what God designed for eternity. One day, pain will cease. Your trials and your difficulty will cease. And Jesus is going to reign. And we see in Revelation that he says that, Jesus will wipe away every single tear. Now, Jesus also, when he talks to Nicodemus, he makes this vague reference. And he says, it's not really vague, but it's in, it's in uh, Numbers uh, 21.8. And he says that in Numbers, there's, there's this instance of Jesus, uh, rather Moses, ha leading the people. And the people start to disobey Moses and they start to like complain. And God sends us a punishment for their sin. God sends a whole bunch of snakes. And then these people are starting to die off. And they come up to Moses and saying, hey, we are being inflicted by this. And God speaks to Moses and says, put this 
snake out of bronze on this pole. And as they look unto the snake, they will be healed. And Jesus makes a reference to this when he talks to Nicodemus. And he says that, you know, just like Moses was uh, kind of like raised that snake in the wilderness and people looked up for their healing. So the son of God or he himself, Jesus, as we look unto Jesus, he comes and he implants in our heart his kingdom. He changes our desires. He transforms our deepest desires. And what's going to happen is when you make a decision to follow Jesus, you might not feel crazy different. You might not feel a specific way, but what will happen is God's going to start to remove the old heart and implant a new one. Obviously not a physical one. You know what I mean? Like the way you used to be, the old man, he's going to start to kind of take all that out and give you new goals. He's going to give you a new purpose. He's going to give you a new trajectory in life that leads towards eternity, that leads towards salvation. He's going to bring people around you that will tell you the truth. That every single time you compliment them because you are you trying to avoid an issue, they'll look straight up to you and say, hey, but are you saved? Hey, um, the things that you said are not Christ-like and you need to seek repentance. Hey, the lifestyle that you're living is not of God. And then he's going to take you through the path of baptism. By the way, we... We will have our growth track starting next week. If you want to find more about how to follow after Jesus, attend growth track after service next week. Baptism is going to be at the end of, of this month in February. And you're going to make a decision to follow Jesus. And then the Holy Spirit is going to take residence upon your life. And he, he'll be a seal that God is going to look for when he comes to get you, to, to take his church. And as the Holy Spirit starts to work in your life, you will start to see the fruits of the Spirit. You'll become more loving, more patient, more kind, more self-control. You'll start to see a flourishing of God's kingdom in your life. But if you don't see that, if you've been a Christian for 10 or 5, 10, 20 years, and you feel like you're worse off, then that is cause for worry. Because maybe the Holy Spirit does not reside within you. So I'm call you to prayer, and, and I'm not going to call you up front, but I'm going to ask you in this prayer, um, it's going to be really just specific, but if you don't know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, remember that He came to bring us new life. In John 10, 10, He says, I came to give you life and life more abundantly and a lot of people say that life here on earth yeah it's true but what's more important he came to give you eternal life you know he came and because he himself was resurrected there's there's hope for us to be resurrected we have a hope that this life is not it it doesn't end in death there's a new age to come there's a life after death so there is no hey you only live once. No, you live forever. You might be dying once. So maybe Yodo instead of YOLO. Right? Like, you only die once. But you live forever. Not, not Yoda. <laughs> Yodo. <laughs> so if Jesus is not Lord and Savior of life, would you, actually, all of you, would you bow your heads and 
If Jesus has not been your savior, would you raise your hand? I just wanna know who I'm praying for. If there's anybody in here that you have not made Jesus your personal Lord and savior, would you raise your hand? I just wanna know who I'm praying for. Thank you for listening to Eternal Stance. My hope is that these messages will help you to live in light of eternity. If this podcast is a blessing to you, would you share with other people? Thank you in advance and until next time, God bless you.